we are going to get into the Word this morning. And so if you got your Bibles, go ahead and uh, open them up to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61 is where we're going to be. Um, and we are in this uh, series called More Than a Manger. Um, and we are uh, all through Advent, we are going to be in Isaiah 61. And so if you didn't bring a Bible, there's a black one underneath the seat you're in front of you. You can reach uh, up underneath there. You'll find one of those black Bibles. And in the black Bible, it's on page 581. Page 581, Isaiah 61 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. I'll give you a minute to get there. As we consider all that Jesus has brought for us in his first coming and all that he is going to bring in his second. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe this is God's literal words that he's gifted to us. And so in honor and reverence, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of so many generations. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Like I said, my name is John, and I'm excited to preach this morning to open up God's Word with you all and uh, to hear what he has to say. Um, like he mentioned, we are in this series called More Than a Manger. And I don't know about you guys, but every time Christmas rolls around, I'm just like that image of uh, Ricky Bobby comes into my head where he's like, sweet little eight-pound baby Jesus, or however he prays, and it cracks me up every time. And so our focus here at Flourishing Grace for this series is that we would think about uh, what Jesus did as more than just this little baby in a manger, but thinking, of, uh, thinking about all that he's come to accomplish, all that he has accomplished, and what he will. And so uh, this morning, I get the privilege of being in a very specific part of this text that was read this morning. Uh, that is the second part of verse 1. And so you're already there in your Bible. I just want to read this for us real quick. This is what it says. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, I need help slowing down this morning from the Lord, and if you're like me, you probably do too. So we're just going to take some time and pray before we get into the word this morning. Father, we need your help. We are desperate for your presence. We are desperate for your movement, for your intervention. And so, God, I pray right now that you would slow us down, that you would help us to not sprint by anything that you might have for us today, that you would help us to slow down and consider what you're saying, 
And so, God, would you give me the words to speak today? Would you give the people in this room the ears to hear? And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brokenhearted. Brokenhearted. As I've prepared for this sermon, this is the word that I can't seem to get out of my head. Brokenhearted. We've got designs for it, and um, this is kind of what I thought of when it came to a broken heart. People thought the anatomical heart was a little bit gross, but I thought it was cool. Um, but brokenhearted, it's, it's a fully familiar concept uh, for many, if not all of us in the room. Uh, we all have our favorite movies and songs and books about heartbreak. And the reason why we have these movies, songs, and books about heartbreak is because heartbreak is universal. These things are so popular because heartbreak is universal. Everyone understands what it's like to have a broken heart. Now, there are obviously varying levels and degrees of heartbreak. What absolutely wrecked me as a teenager could possibly be like an everyday occurrence for me as an adult, right? Um, and vice versa, like what I'd find completely debilitating emotionally today may not have been what a high school version of me would experience. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that no matter how old you are, what your ethnicity is, your socioeconomic status, heartbreak is universal. Now, just so I can get a feel of who's with me so far in the room, uh, raise your hand if when I mention heartbreak, like a memory immediately pops in your head. All right, would someone share? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. We're, not gonna do that. <laughs> We're just going to circle around and share our stories of heartbreak, and that's going to be what God has for us today. Now, um, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and share because I have the microphone, so I'm just going to go ahead and share mine. And um, I'm, I'm just going to be really honest. There's going to be a couple jokes laced in through this because this was pretty traumatic for me as a kid, and for me to get through it, I need to make a couple jokes, so just bear with me. Um, so when I was a child, uh, I grew up in what some people would probably uh, call like not-so-great circumstances. Um, we didn't have really any money growing up, my family, and um, my, I, my mom, who I love, uh, you know, she worked her tail off to uh, provide for me and my brother and my dad, unbeknownst to me, was just kind of a deadbeat. Um, but when you're a child and you're in that situation, you don't know any better because that's all you know, right? I mean, you, you guys understand this. You don't realize how dire a situation was until you might be on the other side of it. And I remember being at home one day and, you know, just playing around. Me and my brother were hanging out. And our house phone rang. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, a house phone is a phone that just stays in your house. It doesn't go in your pocket. It stays in the house. Uh, back then, they were actually just wired, so you couldn't even go anywhere with it. And uh, people, there were multiple house phones in your house, and other people could pick it up and listen to your conversation. So in case you didn't know, I know there are some young people in here. That's, that's what a house phone is. But I remember the house phone ringing, and I picked it up. And it was the voice of an automated message saying that we were getting a phone call from the prison. And it asked if I wanted to accept the charges. And of course, as a kid, I don't know what money is. It's not my money. Sure, I'll accept the charges. And on the other side of that phone call was my father. And as he was talking, my child mind was going through all these scenarios as to why would my father be calling me from prison? And just as any child would, you start to make up excuses for your parents. And I start thinking, well, you know, maybe my dad's a cop. Maybe he's calling me from prison because he's a police officer. 
Um, and he calls me, tells me that he loves me, and then wants to talk to my mom. Go, go find my mom, give her the phone. And this started the unraveling of what I viewed as this great childhood that I had, is that I come to find out later that my biological father was an addict, and this wasn't his first time in prison. And so you, you can imagine what kind of effect that has on a young boy who looked up to his father and loved his father. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. You see, there is a visceral response that we have to heartbreak. It, it burns into our memories. And, and real, true heartbreak, you don't just shake it off. It overcomes us. It consumes us. It devours us. It's something that brings tension into every single fiber of our being. And the reason, the reason why I think this is the case, why I think that heart broken, uh, brokenheartedness has this effect on us is simply this, that we were not created to experience heartbreak. That's my assumption. We were, we were not created to experience heartbreak. This thing that is so universal, so seemingly central and unavoidable to the human experience, we were never meant to feel it. Like, have you ever broken a bone and looked at it and thought, like, that's not supposed to look like that? And what, what, what do I mean by this? Well, if we look at creation in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve dwelt with God in this pre-sin, pre-fall reality, Adam and Eve were created to exist in harmony with God, with their fellow created beings, including mankind, and in harmony with themselves individually, internally, complete and total harmony, complete and total peace. Man was never meant to experience pain, sorrow, war, heartbreak. Sin then enters the picture. Man's choice to follow their own will and desire rather than God's will and desire. The perfect creation was now marred by our own doing. And instead of peace and harmony with God, others, and ourselves, We've experienced heartbreak and captivity to sin in our relationships with God, others, and ourselves. See, this is why when our hearts are broken, it feels wrong. It feels foreign. Friends, have you ever felt the weight of this brokenness and think, it's not supposed to be this way? Has anyone felt that? Have you dreamed of a world where there is no pain, anguish, or tears? And I have. I have. But here's the beautiful thing, is that I have been promised by the God of the universe that through, that through his word he has promised me that he has worked, is working, and will work toward that world. And my hope today is that you'd hear this message and you would believe that promise, that you would take hold of it. My hope is that by the end of this sermon, you'll have a clearer image of the narrative of the entirety of the Bible, that you'd more fully understand the hope of the gospel as shown throughout Scripture, that the heart of God would be on display of every page of this book, that his character has never changed, that we'd see his unchanging character in the past, experience it in the present, and look forward to it in the future. And so as we get started with the bulk of this sermon, I'm going to warn you, this is three different movements, and this first movement, movement is kind of just a history lesson, okay? So just bear with me. It might feel like you're in class. Please don't fall asleep. It'll be embarrassing for you, Amy, okay? So, um, but we're going to start with back then. Back then, 
Now, this series is called More Than a Manger, and and what I'm hoping that we see and understand today is that the God who sent his son to take on flesh and enter into our lives as a baby in the manger, this is the same God who has always existed. He has existed before creation. His gracious attributes, his loving character, they didn't start in the advent of Jesus. It preceded all of time. And so we remember, we have to remember what he did back then. Now, what am I categorizing as back then? Well, for our purposes today, we're going to be looking at this entire book, all right? Now, don't worry, we're not going to teach through this whole thing because we don't have that kind of time today, Um, but in big pieces, we're going to get to see that this passage from Isaiah 61 that was read earlier has been God's heart from the very beginning of this book. Like I mentioned earlier in the creation narrative, um, God creates a world that is good, a world without a need for prisons or captives, and a world without broken hearts. It was good. Well, then what happens? The man and woman who God created to be faithful to him turn their backs on him of their own choosing. And what I think happens, what I think happens is that the first heartbreak isn't necessarily of man's, but of God's. Because of man's willing disobedience against God, a divide was formed between creation and creator. Now, this is what we call sin. And so starts the perpetuity, the endlessness of being held captive to sin, imprisoned by death and heartbroken because of it. Because of this, God has to find a way to redeem us again and again and again. And so starts the endless cycle of sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. And though it doesn't say it in in the scripture right here in the story of the fall that his heart was broken, we can fast forward to when God was contemplating flooding the earth. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, this is what it says. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I just want to remind you, that's not just them back then. That's us now. That's us now. And then verse 6 says, And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. It grieved God to his heart, the breaking heart of God, right there. And this heartbreak of the fathers sets a precedent that rings true throughout all of the Bible, that when what Isaiah describes earlier in his book, he, he says that God is acquainted with our grief that he is familiar with our heartbreak. He has experienced it. And so because of this truth, when God promises to bind up the brokenhearted, he does so understanding the pain that he promises to heal. It didn't take Jesus in the flesh for him to understand what a broken heart was. He felt it every single time his people turned away from him and preferred their own ways over his. But God is gracious. God is kind, he is loving, and he is forgiving. And so time and time again, he offers freedom for our hell-bound souls, comforting us in the meantime. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we have stories of God intervening and providing and helping the Israelites, comforting them, delivering them from captivity, breaking the chains of both their physical prisons and their spiritual ones. Now, a few stories of note for this morning. One of the patriarchs in Genesis, Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery, and because of God's favor on him, he rose up the ranks of service in Egypt to become the right-hand man to the right-hand man of Pharaoh. 
right? Joseph was the right-hand man to the right-hand man of Pharaoh. He was then thrown in prison for being wrongfully accused of adultery. And later in this story, Joseph, through the power of God and the favor of God, he was able to interpret dreams that would gain him favor with the new Pharaoh and was freed from prison and made the highest authority in the land other than the Pharaoh. This is a story of God opening up the prisons. Now, this story leads to what's possibly the most famous story in the Old Testament, the freeing of God's people from slavery in Egypt. The Israelites were under the thumb of the Egyptians, groaning and hoping for deliverance from their oppressors. God provided their liberation through his servant Moses. Those who were imprisoned were set free. Broken hearts due to slavery were mended. We then look to the example of King David. Now, I'm not sure what David is more famous for these days, whether it's slaying Goliath or his affair with Bathsheba, but it was this man, King David, who developed the biblical blueprint on a broken heart. After he was confronted with his affair with Bathsheba and all the things that he did to cover it up, we see David's heart completely split into two, broken. He is faced with his sin, the shame and the guilt of it, and then acknowledges his sin to the Lord. And from that moment on, God begins to bind up his broken heart and releases him from the shame and guilt that he had felt previously. That's why David was able to fill up the entire Psalms with songs of heartbreak and comfort from the Lord. He wrote things like this from Psalm 34. He says, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the what? Brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. David was a recipient of the promise of God that he would comfort and liberate. Then we fast forward to the story of our focus this Advent season, the birth of the Christ, Jesus. In what would be God's most beautiful version of keeping his promise, we were given God himself in the flesh. And he, through his physical, tangible presence among his people, would begin to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and open up the prisons to those who were bound by sin. Now, Pastor Josh mentioned last week that Jesus uh, declared himself as the fulfiller of this very text, Isaiah 61, that he was the one who was going to do these things. But Jesus didn't only say it with his words. He proved it by his actions. At every single turn of his earthly ministry, Jesus was making good upon the prophecy he claimed to fulfill. You see, he healed the sicknesses of those who were suffering from blindness, paralysis, leprosy, restoring broken hearts by it. He pronounced freedom on those who were outcasts, those who were being persecuted, even those who were sentenced to death, liberty to the captives. And most glorious of all, he busted open the prison doors that held those condemned by sin. He did this by his death and resurrection. And those who were once bound by sin were bound no more. And so we see that our God has been doing this beyond just the manger. For all of time up until now, he did it. That's how he's been doing it. And that's just back then. And so for now, our history lesson's over. And so let's look to right now. How is God comforting the brokenhearted, releasing captives, and freeing prisoners right now? Friends, I actually feel like I don't have to say much here. Because if anyone here is in Christ, you know that he's doing it. That he has freed you, that he has released you and comforted you. Is there anyone in here who can testify to that? 
Amen. Come on. He's doing it. Our God is doing it. We see in bits and pieces every day that God is bringing his kingdom on earth. He's making all things new. Now, maybe you're not experiencing it profoundly in your life right now, but maybe you can see it in someone else's. And praise God for that. You're still getting to witness his goodness, his redemption. What a joy and privilege it is to see him at work in and through us. Now, uh, an image popped into my head as I was prepping for this sermon. Um, So I I have a hate-hate relationship with Instagram. Um, I I just hate it. But for some reason, I can't get enough, and so I guess I hate myself because of that, too. Um, But it's just like the biggest time suck, life suck on my life. But every now and then, something comes across my screen and and makes my day. And so uh, are any of you in here um, familiar with the God Behind Bars ministry? God Behind Bars? Man, this is, this is a beautiful ministry, friends. It's a beautiful ministry. So I guess it's because the metaverse knows that I'm a follower of Jesus. They've been putting God Behind Bars uh, videos on my Reels page. And every time I watch them, I cannot help but smile and be filled with joy at what God is doing through this ministry. Now, if you're unfamiliar, uh, what this is is that this ministry partners with local churches. Um, and what they do is they go into these prisons and they preach the gospel. And In these videos, you see inmates getting baptized. You see in these videos that they're giving testimonies of how God has saved them while they've been in prison. And then you see videos of them just lifting their hands, singing their guts out in passionate worship to God. And what a beautiful image of God at work to releasing those who are in literal captivity into spiritual and eternal freedom. Now, all those things, that that gives us evidence. That gives us some evidence that God is doing these things. He's binding up the brokenhearted, releasing the captives, and freeing the prisoners. But I want to ask how. Through what power? Through whose presence is he doing this? If they had Jesus in the flesh back then, then who do we have right now? Well, I want to encourage you to flip to uh, John, the book of John, chapter 14. If you don't want to flip, that's okay. It's going to be on the screen. In John chapter 14, we find, we find Jesus giving some of his last words to the disciples before he's about to be put on the cross. I'm going to start in verse 22. And this is the conversation that they're having. So Judas... Not Iscariot. It's pretty important. Judas said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Let's go to verse 25 here. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Friends, what a massive promise from the Lord. What a massive promise. Though the person of Jesus would no longer be with us, he manifests himself to those who love him by what he calls the helper, the Holy Spirit. 
And it is by the Spirit that we have peace, that our hearts are not troubled, that we aren't afraid. By His Spirit, our broken hearts are being bound up. We who were once held captive and enslaved by sin and death, He has proclaimed liberty to us as uniquely now I want you to hear me, not as, not as importantly or more important or less important, but as uniquely as the person of Jesus taking on flesh 2,000 years ago, he sent his spirit to reside with us today. This is his unique presence with us now. Now, perhaps the main teaching of Jesus in his ministry was about the kingdom of God. This was his primary means of fulfilling the prophecy from Isaiah, not just through his healings, not just through his miracles, but that the kingdom of God would manifest itself here on earth. That as his gospel and message was spread, his kingdom would be established here in greater measure every day. And today, because of the Spirit, because we have been anointed, we get to take part in this work. We are able to provide comfort to the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives, and open up the prison doors. Now hear me, this is not by our own power, not by our own doing, but, but because Jesus has invited us to his side. And we're powered by the Spirit. Through his gospel, right now, we can take part in his work. This is our hope. Now, lastly, one day. How will the Lord one day bind up the brokenhearted, liberate the captives, and open the prisons? You might have gotten ahead of me already, uh, but here lies the response to every time we thought, it's not supposed to be this way. Every time we felt, I'm so tired of my body falling apart. Every regret that we've had after a heated argument with a loved one. Every lie that we've uttered. Every time our actions or inaction produces a broken heart. I'm talking about the new heavens and the new earth, friends. The new heavens and the new earth. You see, today... We celebrate and remember Advent as the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, all those years ago for the first time. But Advent is also a time to look forward to the second coming of Jesus. And when he does, massive transformation is to follow. Massive transformation is to follow. He will bring his kingdom in its fullness. Every broken heart will be bound fully and finally. Every captive will be released fully and finally, and every prison door will be opened fully and finally. He promises to do away with every pain, sorrow, and tear. And how do we know this? Well, we have to turn to Revelation 21, which if you are a Bible person, if you've uh, read your Bible often enough, you've come across this passage. This is one of the great hopes that we have in Jesus in Revelation 21. So I'm just going to read the first five verses for us. This is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Now here's the important part, friends. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. What a hope that we have in our God. So now I want to ask, what does this mean for you? Not just what it means for us, but what does it mean for you individually? I want us to consider that. Now, what this means is that if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to him and recognized him as the king of all, you always have something to look forward to. That's what it means if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, your best days are always ahead of you. That his kingdom will come in its fullness And oh, what a day. And the heartbreak that you've experienced in this world will be long forgotten. The captivity you experienced to sin will be a distant memory. And even the joys that this world provided, they couldn't hold a candle to the joy of seeing Jesus fully and finally establish his kingdom in the new heavens and new earth. Friends, what a great hope we have in Jesus. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you haven't trusted Jesus as Lord, Maybe you're here for the first time in a long time and you haven't heard the name of Jesus in a long time. This is what I want to ask you. This is what I want to beg you to do. Just consider him. Consider Jesus. Give him just a little bit of space in your thoughts. Ask yourself if there's any way that he could be who he claims to be. If there's any way that he fulfilled this prophecy. Don't delay it. There's no better time than the present to consider who he is to you. Not just the cute baby in the manger, but the one who claims to be the son of God and the savior of the world. Consider him. I want to close with this. Um, As we talk about heartbreak, as we talk about heartbreak, uh, sometimes when we experience this, um, it feels like something's been ripped from out of us. It feels like we aren't whole anymore. Y'all understand what I'm saying? But, but I want to tell you right now, there is hope. Let God bind you up. Bring it to him. If there's pain that you're experiencing, even right now, just bring it to him. I'm begging you, bring it to him. Why? Because we, we talked about King David earlier. And after he was confronted with his sin and his heart was broken, this is what he wrote. This is from Psalm 51, he writes, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. And hear this. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. God desires your brokenness. He desires it more than any earthly sacrifice you could give him. He desires your broken heart. He wants you to bring it to him as an offering. And I'm telling you, friends, he will bind you up. He loves you and wants good for you. He has provided you a hope beyond all imagination. And so I want to encourage us to take him up on it. Come to him. Let's take him up on it. Let's see what he does. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us.
God, we thank you that you are the healer of our broken hearts. That you have provided us a way to be reconciled to you. And that as we follow you more and more closely, we see more and more bits of your kingdom here on earth. The broken hearts are bound up, prisons are opened. And so would you help us to think deeply about these things? That we wouldn't just leave it here in this building, but that we would really consider how you're doing that in our lives. And so, Holy Spirit, would you empower us to see the ways that you're moving? Would you help us to live lives that are honoring to you, lives that are grateful for what you've done for us, and empower us to be a part of it? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.